I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, so I've been doing uh, lots of interviews while I've been home, just because it's hard to do that in the car. Uh, and I had Matt Place on a while back. We were talking about, I think, Zendikar. Um, but anyway, during that thing, it came up about what what magic expansions have had the most influence in future magic expansions. And so I said one day we would do a podcast where Matt and I would talk about that very topic. Today is that day. So hi, Matt. Howdy. Good to be here. Okay, so let me explain the rules that I set up for us, and then we'll go through this. So Matt and I each made a top ten list. <laughs> And the top ten list was you had to list ten expansions. Matt cheated a little bit. We'll get there in a second. Uh, you had to name ten expansions. Not so we're not counting Alpha. Alpha obviously is the most influential magic thing of all time. We're not, but top ten expansions that have the most influence on magic in some way. Um, and then I, we, we I then combined them. So the way what the top ten list was: number one got ten points, and number ten got one point. So I then combined our two top ten lists, and I came up with our combined top ten lists. And so we're going to go in the order of the list as, you know, both are our combined lists, how they average up. Early on, we overlap, obviously, because that's why they're high up. Later on, yeah. each of us will talk about why why this was on our list and it wasn't on the other person's list. And then I yeah, promise, I promise when, when before we're done, I will read both Matt and I's lists. But I, I sort of want to introduce things as we get to it. And then I promise at the end, remind me, Matt, if I forget, I will list our, our individual lists. Okay. okay. You ready, Matt? I'm ready. This is exciting. Okay. This is, I, I'm very excited. This is like a fun topic for me. <laughs> Okay, so uh, number one with a combined 18 points. So it was number one on my list, number three on your list, is Ravnica City of Guilds. So why is this so high up, Matt? Well, it, it does some things for the first time ever to a, an extremely high uh, quality bar, right? The combination of mechanics meets flavor had never been done to this degree before, right? Uh and that's a big deal. You guys would go on to do this again, but that to me is uh, massive, right? Uh, and then also just the block plan was uh, more, I think, well planned out than any set before that. Um, and the combination of fun, right? Just the limited format, super duper fun, tons of exciting cards. Uh, yeah, it was great. Also, it, so it introduces sort of the modern faction model, which we've used many, many times. Yeah. You know, the idea that there are factions, and each faction gets its own mechanic, and uh, its own named mechanic. You know, so th this is, Ravnica really sort of made a model that we've made a lot of sets like it. You know, mm. even something like Strixhaven owes a lot to Ravnica, for example, even though it's, it's modeled differently. Um, it introduced hybrid mana, uh, it introduced, like, there, it, there's a lot of, um, and also the idea, right, uh, block plant, the, the idea that, like, we were building something and thinking about things down the road. I mean, we did that a little, we kind of backed into it a little bit. Right. Um, like, Invasion kind time, of backed into it, but. The third set was probably the most understood before you even were done building the first set, right? The third set was very well understood, the path that it was going down. Yes. Right? And it was very logical and made sense uh, as opposed to some other blocks where it feels like it was thrown on or wasn't planned in the beginning, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Another thing about Ravnica is I literally could find sort of like remnants of Ravnica in most modern sets. Like it, right. Ravnica, I mean, the other big thing so, so, just a little behind the scenes is we were on a downward slope for a little while and like the yeah. one blip up was, 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 uh, was Ravnica. And it was sort of like this downward trend except one blip where this is, and it really resonated with people. I think Ravnica is the most popular plane. Um, and there's a few others in contention, but uh, when we do polls, 
it, it often would often win for most popular plane. Um, and it also really, I don't know, it, it reinforced so many things. I really think Ravnica really set the bar for a lot of things. Yeah, and that's it's interesting, like, looking at this list, what do you put on the list, which 10 sets, and how many ideas or specific card designs would then get 35 or more cards later made based on those ideas, right? Yeah. Let alone block design from Ravnica. I think Ravnica, too, uh, you know, one of your rules was alpha doesn't yeah. make the list. <laughs> obviously, it's pretty influential in Magic. I honestly believe this. Ravnica is the second masterpiece after alpha. It is so good and does so many things right. It is, like you said, one of the <laughs> up arrows instead of down arrows yeah. during those like three or four years. Uh, but yeah, it's awesome. Okay, our number two with 16 points. So I put it as number five and you put it as number one, Mirage. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so why is Mirage number two here? So it's going to sound funny, but there's multiple ideas inside of Mirage that really it did for the first time. Uh, number one on my list is commons and uncommons play well. Now, that's laughable, but if you go back in time before Mirage and look at sets like Legends, for example, and I, uh, I love this trivia question, how many red common creatures could attack for damage in Legends? The answer is Uno. There is only one. So the focus on commons and uncommons playing well hadn't really been discovered yet, right? Uh, and Mirage does this phenomenally, which impacts, I think, two major things. Well, I mean, Limited, could, well, well, I, I yeah. really want to bring that... Mirage was the first set designed for limited. I mean, it's part of what I mean, right. it's very connected to what you're saying. Like, yes. you have to think about comes and uncommons when you're designing right. for limited. Right, and that hadn't really been done before, right? We had fun as players, right? I played a lot of the sets that came before Mirage. We had tons of fun. Limited was super fun. This upgrade was dramatic, right? Suddenly limited meant something different, right? We were going to do it over and over and over and couldn't get enough of it, right? Booster packs would, you know, I wanted to have boosters so I could draft, right? Mirage was so fun. <laughs> But this had a, a huge implication, not just because of Limited being fun, which was awesome in that set, but also what does it mean to be somebody who's got a few boosters, right? You're trading commons on commons. What is your world of magic? And if you open sets before that, Antiquities is probably one of the, the examples that I think of, your commons and commons were full of do-nothings, right? You know, what was it, like three mana, you know, sorcery, look at your graveyard. Things that just didn't do anything was what your packs were full of. If you watch some of the old sets get drafted, it'll blow your mind how true that was. Mirage threw that on its head, right? Mirage was like tons of interesting uh, comments and uncommons that not only played well, synergized together. Um, it's not the best format if you go back in time for limited, right? The, the bar has been raised dramatically, but at the time it blew everything out of the water. It was a big deal. The other thing about Mirage, this is a more behind the scenes, but it has a big impact. Mirage was the first set, I mean, properly developed in-house. I mean, technically, Antiquities was. I mean, previous sets were, but it was the first time there's a dedicated team to doing development. Like, um, when you think of modern development teams, Mirage kind of had the first modern de development team. Um, where there was, like, you know, a set... Like, Antiquities had, like, 13 people on it, because it was, like, everybody... Not Antiquities, sorry, Alliances. It was, like, everybody who was in the building in R&D showed up in that meeting. That wasn't... It wasn't really functional. And Mirage was, like, we had a four-person development team. We worked on it. Like, it, the way we sort of do that. do development now really started with Mirage. So that's another... I mean, th there are a lot of changes along the way, but uh, sort of the, the start of... of Development teams in, in any sort of modern sense started with Mirage. Um, and Mirage had some of the, you know, we talked about Ravnica being very good at this, but block planning became something, right, that you guys were more focused on. Well, I mean, it, was a it had a block. <laughs> I mean, Mirage, I mean, in, Invasion, sorry, not Invasion, Ice Age 
technically had alliances, but it wasn't, alliances was not designed by the designers to be a follow-up to Ice Age. Like, we retroactively added, like, snow and stuff. Like, it right. was a separate set. I mean, oh, okay. they just made a separate set. And yeah. Mirage was the first set in which they're like, no, like, Mirage and Visions were made together. Um, we'll, we'll talk about Visions in a, in a little bit. Um, Mirage and Visions were made together, and, like, it was made to be a block. It was developed to be a block. Like, it's it's the first... It's the first actual block. I mean, Ice Age has some, you know, technical sense of there was Ice Age and alliances, but, like, Mirage was the first set designed to be that. It wasn't retrofitted. It was, it was made to be that. Right. Okay, yeah. And that's why it's so high on my personal list, right, is the idea... Like, it didn't do new innovative things with block, but the idea that you just start doing blocks... Well, I mean, I mean blocks are innovative. <laughs> when, when you don't have blocks, making blocks right. is pretty innovative. You do have to invent fire first, right? Like, yes. Yeah. Okay, Okay, number three on our list was my number four and your number five. Uh, right. Oh, no, that's not, yeah, that's right. So for 13 points, Invasion. Yes. Okay, so why why is Invasion? So Invasion does a few things. It makes my list, high on my list, uh, not because it's the very first to do something necessarily, but it is the best at it. Once again, we upgrade limited play dramatically, but I think it does something that... Um, was sorely missing in previous sets, which is the combination of mechanics feel exciting, powerful, right? The cards you are opening and just in general are just super powerful because gold, right? Multicolor is such a good uh, way to make things feel super good without feeling like much of a cost when there actually is a cost, right? The cost is kind of hidden and having to run multiple colors. Uh, and just, yeah, the, the, the play of the set is so good, right? Both in constructed and limited to a degree that was it such a meaningful upgrade to the surrounding sets that it makes my list? Yeah, I mean, the thing about Invasion that I want to stress, like, some of these early sets, like, introduce a concept that are so ingrained in magic, you forget that this wasn't a concept yet. So right. here's what Invasion introduced. Themes. Yeah. Like, it used to be early magic was, we had two mechanics. Did they have anything to do with each other? No. They were just yeah. two mechanics. You know, it's like, we have flanking and phasing, you know, and uh, I mean, definitely early sets would figure out mechanically how to make them relevant with each other. But like, right. in a, I mean, not, uh, sorry, Invasion was the set that said, we are the multicolor set. We're about right. multicolor play. All our mechanics are going to play into this theme. And it right. it really was the set that introduced a theme. You know, it's a right. set that, um, it's kind of funny, by the way, that each of these early ones was very much the start of something. Like, yes. Ravnica was the start of me being head designer. Mirage was the start of, like, the... We, they'd hired me and Bill and um, and Mike and William. Like, the, the first sort of dedicated, you know, uh, new hires for that. Uh, Invasion was working the start of Bill... What? Working as a team. Yeah, working as a team. Inv yeah. Invasion was Bill Rowe starting as head designer. So, like, the oh, okay. interesting... Each of these points are, like, some new person comes and, like, right. puts their stake in the ground. Yeah. Um... You know, that's very interesting. Uh, it has a keyword that you would use again, right? Kicker. Well, right. Invasion, right. Invasion <laughs> introduces kicker. I right. think it, um, I guess it didn't introduce off-color, but it really sort of put off-color activations on the map. I mean, said troll and alpha had, it was the first one to have it. But, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was something every once in a blue moon you would see, like the drowned or whatever. But, right. like, this was like, uh, oh, and the, the idea of cycling, side. how we cycle a lot of invasion, I mean, not the cycles were created by Invasion, but a lot of the way we did multicolor cycling and stuff was very much like Invasion really reinvented how multicolor was done. Yeah, it was, and, and I would argue it's the first, like, this is a multicolor set. There are multicolor cards in Mirage, right, obviously in Alpha, 
but this was the first time it was done to a degree that was like, yes, okay, yes. I am playing a multicolor set. Here we go. Yes. Yeah. And very much, and it's funny, like Ravnica was our number one pick. Like Ravnica was defined by being multicolor, but not invasion, you know, because invasion was like play all five colors. So they think, what's the fewest colors you can play and be a multicolor set? Well, how about two right. colors? So I'm doing um, something unique in my invasion draft. I'm only playing four colors this time. Okay, so number four, uh, I had it as my second pick, and you had it as your ninth pick, uh, with 11 points, Innistrad. Okay, yes. why, why is Innistrad number four on our list? So, part of the reason, well, so it's it's a masterpiece, I think, again, right? It's super fun, limited, did things that I think propelled it to the best limited format of all time. Uh, I played so much of it. Uh, but I think it does things that were so crazy if you just talked about it like double-sided cards successfully and helped pave the way for more crazy ideas right like this always makes me think of your include sets right <laughs> just you know hey this card needs multiple cards to be one card right just crazy ideas that are include this was the first time that level of crazy was in a real set and an a plus mechanic well actually i, I would i would beg to differ i think invasion oh. the set we just talked about was the yeah. first set to do that which was split oh. cards oh you're right that's fair uh, invasion yeah. split and split cards were like people like would see them and, and like what is this that like it doesn't look like a normal magic card you know right is this real um, but but yeah Innistrad introduced double face cards obviously going on to be a huge thing uh, it really in my mind was the first kind of successful top down design I mean there were previous top down designs but the first one that really mapped how to do a top down design and uh-huh. like we talked about like the reason I put this number two was. It is like the template of how we make top-down designs now. Like when we do a top-down design, we just like we follow how Industry did it. It really yeah. is this sort of template-setting set. Uh, that's why I'm so high on my list. Is that there's so many sets now that have Industry's fingerprints all over it. That's that's a great point. Like we talk about top-down design in my years there, right, 2003 to 2010, all the time, right? But as individual cards, mostly. I mean, then we tr- like James and Kamigawa was us tr- like an early attempt at top-down. You know, and, one, and obviously, like, Arabian yeah. Nights obviously was top-down. It wasn't our story or anything, but, you know. Um, well, it was top-down in that there was a very, like, Arabians, I would say, is a top-down in that it's a very clear theme. Yeah. But when I look at Arabians or Champions, I don't go, oh, these mechanics line up so well with that theme. You know yeah, you're I mean? right, right. That's your point, too. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. right. Innistrad sort of said, right, the, the gameplay itself was as flavorful as the right. names and art of the cards and flavor text right. of the cards. Yeah. Like, right, when one of the things we tried so hard in Israel, and I, obviously we, we model it now, is, like, how do the zombies play like zombies? Oh, right. I'm building up this horde of zombies and slowly attacking, you know? How do the, the vampires feel like vampires? How do the werewolves feel like werewolves, you know? And that, right, in Israel, really, really, like, there are certain sets that we do something and do it successfully. And another big thing about Innistrad is... Eric Lauer did a lot of stuff with how limited works that just became the template for how limited works and behind the scenes, like how we build sure. limited. Um, it really was the template, like so much followed that t- yeah. template wise of, of how we do limited. Yeah. And it's still my favorite limited set of all time. Yeah. And transformation is another great example, right? Of like flip cards overlapping with a horror set perfectly. Yeah. Well, the dark transformation. <laughs> okay. Number five is the first one where we deviate. This is on your list. High on your list, not at all on my list, all which right, is Visions. Right. So, yes. okay, why is it so uh, at nine points well, is Visions? Imagine having this idea, right? Yeah. Uh, when you play a creature, when it enters the battlefield, it does something. 
It is okay. Visions is the first. Yes, it's the first <laughs> set of Enter the Battlefield. The list, Mark. Come on, that's got to make the list. It is mind blowing <laughs> that there are years of magic where this was not a concept. But here's the here's the funny thing, and this between you and I is in Tempest we not knowing because we hadn't seen the vision design that we have to start with something before you see like so. Before we had right. seen Visions, we started working on Tempest, and okay. we came up with End of the Battlefields in Tempest. And then I saw Visions, I guess, oh, they made it too. So anyway, oh, it's, 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 I, I it is that. the set that came out first, and the set that was worked on the first. So they, they do deserve the honor of having made it first. It's just in my mind, it's like we had co made, like we had, we had made it in, in Tempest unaware of what they were doing in Visions. And so in my head, it's always like, well, we also made it, but, no one, no one knows that because it came in Vision first. So, as a player, it was the first time I saw it. Obviously, oh no, it's the first and, time anybody saw it. Yeah, yeah, and and the it was made for power first. along with fun were both extremely high, right? Like Uktavi Orangutan, I can destroy artifacts without feeling like I have to have an answer that's always a one for one, right? Like I can get an advantage with my shatter. Uh, it was a big deal as a player, right? As a competitive player, um, and how many designs after Visions would have? Creatures that enter the battlefield and do something. I don't know, dozens probably. I mean, enter the battlefields is huge. <laughs> I agree. Enter the battlefield is huge. It's a big deal. Okay, so <laughs> next, uh, number six on the list uh, is one I rated highly that Matt didn't put on his list. So this was my number three, Mirrodin. So I will explain since you didn't have this on your list. Yeah. Um, so Mirrodin is the first set where we said, we want to do a theme. Let's build a world that's the embodiment of that theme. Like, oh, we want to do an artifact set. Well, what if we made a metal world? And so a lot of sort of modern sort of world building and sort of integration of mechanics to to world building, that's where it all started. I mean, there were a few sets that had, you know, uh, artists building worlds, like Wrath uh, got built, for example, by, by uh, a team. Um, but Meriden is the first time we really ingrained the world building into how we, the mechanics. Like, the, it's the first sure. world that ev- that evokes what the mechanics are. And um, as a player, I saw that in Meriden. I didn't see it in Wrath as much. So. Right, I mean, Wrath was, they built a cool, flavorful place, but the mechanics right. of Tempest did not bespoke, like, what Wrath was. I mean, it made flavor sense to the story. Um, but, like... Mirrodin and its set, the, the mechanics of Mirrodin and the world of Mirrodin are as enmeshed as possibly can be. And that was really the start of us doing that. So I ranked that very high because it really, how we make magic sets and how we build worlds owes a lot to how we made Mirrodin. That very was... That's fair. So. And Mirrodin came before Innistrad, but a lot of why I put Innistrad on the list and not Mirrodin is because I think Innistrad did it so well. I, yeah, Innistrad did do it yeah. very well. Okay, so next on our list... So at, at number seven on our list, so our top ten list is more than ten since you and I didn't overlap. Uh, this we also agreed on this one. I put it at eight and you put it at seven, but combined it gets seven points. So um, Zendikar, which yes. you and I talked last time you were on my podcast. So so why is Zendikar on the list? Many reasons. Uh, yeah, I. It, it's a lot of the world building meets mechanics. Right, you have a vision of the uh, the world you're going to before you start designing. I think is a big part of it. Um, yeah, I'm curious what, why you put it on the list. I mean, uh, it was a changeover in how... Like, when I first pitched Zendikar, and I said, it's the land set. I mean, you were there, and you were one of the ones mocking me. Like, nobody, nobody sort of understood that. Um, yeah. 
But well, once we really mocked you more than me, right? What you were probably the one who mocked me more uh, than anybody. I think you were number one in mocking me. Um, You'd say lands are gonna matter, <laughs> and I was like, finally, <laughs> finally, I'm gonna play a magic game where lands matter. Um, but the it really sort of the, this template of how we make something mechanically and then we can ingrain it and and the, the it. After Zendikar, people stop yelling at me when I'm like, I'm going to try this crazy idea. People are like, okay, okay, sure. You know, the the idea that you could sort of find things, like you can find um, pockets of interesting design space and that you could build something out of that. Um, Zendikar really put that on the map and it's something we do. Like, it's funny that the thing like, now people encourage, like behind the scenes, encourage me to do it. And right. once upon a time, it was like, you know, I had like fight to, to possibly to do this. Yeah. It, it also introduced the concept, by the way, of um, it introduced the concept of sort of let people do what they want to do. Like for right. a long time, we did a lot of tension building. Like, right. oh, to do this, you have to sort of. And this is the first step that said, what if we just said this thing you're already going to do? We'll just reward you for doing that. And there, right. there's a very different mind shift that happened with this set of. of Hey, we can just people have fun doing the things they want to do, and then just reward them for doing the things they already want to do, and rather than make them feel. do things they don't want to do. Yeah, I remember we had those discussions on the initial design team, right? With uh, we had discard a land as a land matters mechanic, as yeah. a major land matters mechanic, right? yeah, and changing that to land fall. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big deal, right? Way more fun has a lot of the same decision making, right? Do I hold land or not? Right. Yeah. It gets so much of the goodness without that negative tension. Yes. Uh, I would also list something else that um, we started in the previous year, right? But New World Order. Right. Well, this is the first, the first set built set. built to New World Order. I was going to mention that. Yes. Um, this is the first set built to New World Order. We we retrofitted to Shards of Alara. I mean, you you and I were the, actually the the engineers of New World Order. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this was the first set that started from the ground up. Like, it wasn't retrofitted. We built right. from the ground up with New World Order. And so, yes, it, that, it also very much was a big influence there. Yeah, and, and that does kind of play into let people do what they want, right? Like, less, you know, text boxes that you understand quicker, right? Things you want to do are rewarded. Uh, yeah, upping the rarity of things that are more uh, higher tension and maybe more confusing, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so now we're into the second half of the list. We, we have less time. So, oh. nothing. Everything off the list. Only, only you or I said. None of this was both of us said. One of us said. So we're going to go the speed okay. round here. So right, we're going to go through these. So next up, uh, you pick this as number four, uh, Urza's block and mass block, which I argue you cheated. But okay, why Urza's block and mass block? <laughs> so I was going to pick a specific <laughs> set from each of those blocks. And I'm like, hey, if I'm cheating, let's just do the whole blocks. I believe this was a big deal. Uh, I, I wasn't there at the time, but I've heard a lot of stories of this from Bill Rose, which is, right, basically we have the biggest disparity between two adjacent blocks ever in terms of power level, right? Masks being super terrible and Urza's being hilarious because it's got cards better than what's in Alpha, right? <laughs> and what did that mean for a lot of uh, internal stuff, right? Like how do you approach development, right, final design? How do you hire? I think that block is a lot of the reason I got hired at Wizards, right? And, you know... Uh, a lot of my friends got hired at Wizards. Um, how do you make a set exciting without it be, without it being overbalanced, right, or underbalanced? And that was clearly not a skill that was had by R and D in those two years, and later would become a skill because it was focused on. I think that's a big oh, we we did not mention that during Invasion, by the way. Invasion was the first time, uh, like 
pro pro player mentality oh, yeah. really affected how design development was done. Right. Uh, I think it's a good example of it's balanced but not overbalanced, right? It's yeah. balanced but not but also very exciting designs. Okay, so next up is uh tied uh tied uh at five points apiece. You and I each put it six. I'll, I'll do mine first, then I'll do yours. Because okay. you just talked about Urza's block. Uh, I put Antiquities. Uh, so the reason I put Antiquities is it's the first mechanically themed set. It's the first set that had a story, and the story was interwoven into the set. Um, I guess that's my, my main two reasons. Like, the idea of it's an artifact set, like, that's a thing. Like, mechanically, it's a thing. It, ha- it has a theme. It has an identity. And the fact that, like... I mean, there were cards with names, like, characters got referenced, like, Urza's was in Alpha, but there was no story. It wasn't until Antiquities were like, we're actually in a trading card game going to tell you a story. And, you know... It's the first alternate art set, too, right? It was also the first alternate art set. Yeah, the Brothers War is the story. For those, But later, in 2022, we're having a set on the Brothers War, but Antiquities was the first time mentioning the Brothers War, so... Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so next, uh, you put Homelands. Why did you put Homelands? <laughs> So uh, this is, in my opinion, one of the biggest duds ever released, right? And one of the ways to measure a dud is what are the surrounding sets, right? What, what was the ability of, of the design team at the time? Homelands is such a dip relative. It might literally be the biggest dud of all time when measured that way. It was also uh, something that was done a lot by not R&D. And I think that was a big impact, like teaching the powers that be, that, <laughs> hey, you know what? You should have teams that work together and their job title involves designing magic cards to make magic sets. That seems important. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Ho- Homelands, I mean, it's funny. Homelands had a lot of lessons, none of which were, it went right, but <laughs> there were a lot of lessons from it. All right, there's a card or three that you can go, that's a cool design, that's good. Okay, so next up, I put in number seven, so it's four, four points, uh, Time Spiral. Uh, so Time Spiral... I thought really introduced the idea of the importance of nostalgia. It's the first set where we like regularly repeated a lot of old characters. We brought, you know, we, we took characters from the past and made cards out of them. Uh, it, it first set with a bonus sheet, um, and one of those l- lessons learned things is uh, normally up until that point when we made a magic set, uh, organized play and sales went like arm in arm, right. and for the first time. Organized play was great, and sales were not. And we're like, what's going on? And this is when we inter- we, we we called them the Invisibles, which is, they're people we can track, but they buy magic sets. And it really opened our eyes to the more casual players. And, like, Time Spiral was this very eye-opening set in, in making us understand that we didn't understand something on a pretty fundamental level. Um, yes. And also, if you like Modern Horizon sets... Time Spiral is the direct descendant of Modern Horizons. I mean, literally, we like okay. Time Spiral Two was our pitch for Modern Horizons. So, um. yeah, it, it was so interesting to have the, the kind of the graphs break right where the yeah. tournament player loved it, right? Which is the first feedback we get, right? And I remember uh, Bill Rose bought us a cake. Yeah, right. Time Spiral released. <laughs> Everybody that's going to tournaments is super excited. And then when we kind of find out that the graph broke, he's like, yeah. "I'm never buying you guys cake again." <laughs> <laughs> and we've never had cake. You know, did we have cake? We oh, probably had cake. Again. Um, okay, so next, you put it as your number eight, Dark Steel. Yeah. So this one's um, also kind of a, a, a the negative side. It is so incredibly broken, and um, I didn't list Mirrodin. You did, but. I think Mirrodin's a great example of uh, kind of, hey, here's some mechanics that when properly balanced are very fun, 
right? Like Mirrodin by itself, affinity is not broken. It's just merely powerful, right? It does great things. And then to have it sink so fast with just one more <laughs> set, I think is amazing. And it, I think it sh- shined a light on a, a huge danger, which is when you mess things up, right, you can dramatically affect the sales of Magic, right? And we would have a tough year the following year. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, Skull Clamp and Friends uh, really showed how you can easily undo a great set, right? I think Mirrodin's a, a fantastic set, and I think that block did not finish well at all, and most of it is because of Darksteel. Okay, so our final two sets, we each put 10th on our list, but uh, they, were un- they were unique, so I'm going to let you go first. Throne of Eldraine. So I, I put this on the list because I think it is the best example of that feeling of top-down, right? When I'm opening boosters for the first time as a player and I see something, it's so evocative. It's so like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Oh yes, this is a great magic card. I have an anchor in the character or the concept you're showing me and the mechanics overlap in such a great way. And just the overall feel of the set, I think is the best example of top-down set. Okay. I put War of the Spark. Um, So I think War of the Spark on a couple ways. One is... Um, it really sort of taught us the lesson of, hey, you can be sort of bold. Like, I remember when Doug first pitched the idea of War of the Spark. Like, the, the, like it's going to end with a giant Planeswalker war with every, almost every Planeswalker we know fighting. And I'm like, Doug, I get like three Planeswalkers in the set. What are you doing to me? <laughs> um, and really, it's a set that said, okay, okay, let's not as- let's assume we can do it. Okay, I want to have lots and lots of Planeswalkers. Let, let's figure instead of saying we can't do that it said let's figure out how to make that happen and i'm really really proud that like like if you had said it somebody ahead of time you know i, I don't remember how many planeswalkers are on the set but some crazy number of planeswalkers um well how many much more than three much more than three I, like <laughs> 30 something there are a lot of planeswalkers um and really it let us like I love the idea that we went in and we said, okay, what do we have to do to make this happen? And we made uncommon planeswalkers. And like we, we, we started adapting and saying, well, you know, what does that mean? And how do we make planeswalkers that aren't quite the same but still feel like planeswalkers? Um, actually, there's three things. Second thing is it's the first what I'll call event set where like it was about this uh, – it was this grandiose giant thing. Like I remember the weekend it came out was the same weekend that like – uh, one of the Avenger movies, I think Endgame, and like it just felt like th- this. And there was oh, it, it was the final like it was for the might have been the final Game of Thrones. It was it was like the Geek Weekend where all these like giant buildups that took years to get there were all in one weekend, and it just felt really the fact that it built up to something and that the the grand the grandiosity of it was something that you know just right. really meant something. Um, and the third thing is. I think it did something really important that um, I think is going to affect Magic's future, which is it said, hey, you know, Ravnica's a cool world. Maybe we could be on Ravnica and not be a faction-based set. Like, like imagine we were, imagine we could do a cool new thing and we didn't have to reinvent the world every time we did it. Like, it, 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 like we could have had a war anywhere, right? But the fact that it was on Ravnica just added all this gravitas because the audience is like, well, I don't want something right. bad to happen to Ravnica. You know, if right, we just put right, this right. on a random place. And so I really like the idea that, like, it introduced this concept, which I think is an interesting concept of, can we do a brand new thing, but with 
an existing world, you know. I mean, obviously, Dominaria did this for years. Uh, but in the new model, when we started going new worlds, it's like, well, Ravnica always means faction set. But what if Ravnica could be something else? You know, what if Ravnica could be the backdrop for this thing? And I, I, I think that is something that really intrigues me and something that I, I think could, could spell cool things in the future. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. The, uh, by the way, as you're talking about War of the Spark, uh, it makes me think we might have made a mistake. We might have made a mistake uh, not including Lorwyn. Oh, Lorwyn. <laughs> well, I mean... Maybe we messed up. It, it is funny. I mean, one of the things is I... Like, you and I... I had runners-up as well. Uh, yeah. I had Tempest and Onslaught and Conjuturk here. Um, Lorwyn makes sense. Like, there's a lot of... Uh, yeah, Lorwyn did introduce the Planeswalker. That's pretty big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a big deal, right? That is, that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. <laughs> I mean, the other thing, by the way, if you and I had made these lists tomorrow, eh, they might have been a little bit different. Um, so, oh, I promised before yeah. we finish, I would run through the list. So Matt's top ten list. Number one, Mirage. Number two, Visions. Number three, Ravnica. Number four, Urza Block and Math Block. Number five, Invasion. Number six, Homelands. Number seven, Zendikar. Number eight, Darksteel. Number nine, Innistrad. Number ten, Throne of Eldraine. Uh, my top ten. Number one, Ravnica. Number two, Innistrad. Number three, Mirrodin. Number four, Invasion. Number five, Mirage. Number six, Antiquities. Number seven, Time Spiral. Number eight, Zendikar. Oh, number nine, Magic 2010. We didn't even talk about Magic 2010. Oh, I got to talk about that real quick. And then number 10 was War of the Spark. Um, Magic, so I guess this got two points. Uh, How do we miss this? Uh, Magic 2010 was, it was uh, Aaron's Forsyth's baby. It was the reinvention of what the core set could be. And it really, the reason I put it on this list was, it really was a a return to resonance. uh, Really saying, you know what makes people happy? Cards that do things that they already are excited by. Oh, it's this thing. I love this thing. And it really imbued in, I think, all of R&D, this idea of, and this is true for every set now, where's the resonance? You know, whenever we I start a set, I'm like, even if it's not a top-down set, okay, what what is resonant about it? What are we doing? You know, where can I find resonance in a set that might not be necessarily about being top-down, but like, you know, okay, I'm doing this kind of set. Well, what what can I do? What do people expect to be there? What are cool cards I can make that are not, you know, that are that are things people know, but now we get to put magic stamp on on what it is, right? You know, um, and, and Magic 2010 really infused that. So I somehow missed that from my list, but in and, going and over, I did get hit. It, so what? You need to find the rules for what a core set could do, right? There's unique cards there, right? For oh yeah, completely right. right. It it also said. Aaron did a good job of saying, here's the thing we've done forever. Why do we have to do it the way we've always done it? Why can't we reinvent it? And that philosophy of reinvention of, hey, maybe we can do things differently than the way we've always done them, like led to the idea of stop doing blocks. You know what I'm saying? Like we've always done blocks, but well, maybe there's a better system than just doing blocks. And so Magic 2010 really got that. So anyway, guys, that is the top most influential Magic expansions as of today, I guess. I mean, we... <laughs> I, I do think if we did this in, in a year from now, we might just pick some different stuff, but I think we hit the high points. Um, and so thank you, Matt, for joining me. This was lots of fun. This was super fun. Thank you. Uh, and so everybody else, uh, I'm, I'm now at my desk, so we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking Magic, it's time for me to make Magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.